In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you cringe, as I did, when the wealthy young man walked away from Jesus, disappointed in himself and in the whole situation, likely mumbling under his breath? Perhaps like the young man in the Gospel lesson, you have often thought of yourself as someone who keeps the commandments, a good person, in fact, better than most. Are there commandments that you believe that you've never actually broken? He appears to also have believed that about himself. And Jesus didn't quibble with his self-assessment. But then, then came the scalpel of God's law, opening up God's point of vision straight through the heart into the soul. Sell every last thing you own. Give it to the poor. Then come follow me. Doesn't that direction from Jesus just about take your breath away? What if Jesus was sitting here right now having a conversation specifically with you and he gave you the same instruction? Could you do it? Could you liquidate every last thing you own, gave it to those who are in need and simply follow wherever Jesus led your life? Or would you join the wealthy young man in walking away from Jesus, muttering something about crossing the line from simply the material into the spiritual world in a way that is just too aggressive, too strident for you to be able to live out, even though you might want to? Our very real life experience, coupled with what the world tells us, has us asking the very same question that those who were listening to Jesus that first day obviously needed to ask. So they just asked it out loud, then who can be saved if the attachment to wealth and material is what's going to separate us from our God and our ability to live for our God? Who's going to be saved? And the answer to that question isn't all that hard. It's actually very exceptionally easy. Everyone is going to be saved who recognizes that Jesus has already fulfilled every element of the law. That he is the lone human being that's ever lived this life with a loosened grip on material and pushed away successfully every temptation. The young man gave himself a whole lot of slack when it came to presenting himself to Jesus as someone who had kept the whole law, all the rules and regulations, since he was a boy. And notice Jesus doesn't quibble with him. In fact, that might lead us to understand that maybe he was someone who was one of the most sincerely obedient human beings that Jesus had ever encountered. Instead of quibbling, Jesus cut directly to the cross-examination 
that led the young man to a very honest and indisputable self-assessment, a self-administered conclusion. If he couldn't distance himself, loosen his grip on every last one of his earthly possessions, then maybe he hadn't actually kept the seventh commandment at all, or the ninth either for that matter. And then realizing certainly then also the first commandment, putting his God above all other things. Well, we know Jesus is the master at cutting through all of our nonsense in regard to our self-congratulation of how good we like to believe ourselves to be, especially at obeying God's word and God's will. So did the first few verses of the New Testament lesson from John's first epistle hit you between the eyes with the same kind of power that the gospel lesson did? It certainly did me. It caught my attention very painfully. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Wow. I'd love to be able to tell you and, and even convince myself that I don't love anything in the world more than I love my Savior Jesus, but that's not actually at all what John says here, is, is it? John writes an application of the gospel lesson to our lives of faith and sharpens the law even further so that we have no misunderstanding of what he's telling us. If we love the world or anything in the world at all, we cannot appropriately love the Father and by implication the Son whom he has sent to save us. How very hard that is for me to read, for me to hear, for me to process. How about we just close the book up now and sing another hymn? Or maybe move on to the prayers. I'd rather not think about this a whole lot more. I'd rather not spend time in self-analysis using God's Word to examine my life, my attitudes, my priorities. How about you? Should we just be done with all of this? Then we would be burying our spiritual heads in the sand. And that would shortcut the conversation and not even place us in the position that John wants us to be in meditating on what he also says about hmm, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What's the difference between those things? What does it mean for me?
You see, he's clearly telling us here it's not just about the physical temptations we face, the material realities of life, the things that we experience with our flesh. He's also telling us, as Jesus clearly also did in his gospel lessons on these subjects, that what goes on in our thought life, what goes on simply only in our brains, that no one else but God ever knows or sees or hears, all of that, the lust of the eyes that leads to the thoughts, All of that makes us just as equally guilty before God as anything that has to do with the material, day-to-day living that we do. Hmm. It's also about all the pleasures that play out in my mind. And the pride of life adds an all-encompassing category for things that I take pride in as I live out my days. My smarts, my street savvy, my ability to attract others to me in relationship that gives me influence over them. My house, my car, my career, my plan for after I'm 60 years old, what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life when I've finally reached the ability to have a little bit more time to myself What are the things that you take pride in? What are the things that you build your security, your understanding of yourself in the world in which you live? The things that you place value on, that you want others to also value, so that you know they understand you and see you the way you would like to be seen. Things you're proud of. Almost none of those things jibe with God's list of the things that we are to be proud of. In fact, God's list is exceptionally short. He only wants us to be proud of him and our relationship with him. Whoever boasts, let him boast in the Lord. The Apostle Paul tells us. These verses of 1 John make it clear that the whole mess which these verses bring into focus for us is an application of the gospel truths between Jesus and the wealthy young man in today's gospel lesson. That everything which challenges that young man and equally challenges us in our moment in this world are all manufactured, completely world-manufactured things and not anything God intended for us to know or live. None of this comes from the Father, we are clearly told here. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. All that is defined in these two lessons as tempting human souls, is extremely temporary. In fact, all of it only lasts a lifetime, if it even lasts that long. The world and its fads, its fashions, and its foundation are shifting moment to moment at such a speed in the culture that we live in the worldwide culture that we now live, 
that hardly anybody can actually keep up with it. The day you think you are in the know, you will quickly discover you're not quite up to speed. And it doesn't take long for Christians who are contemplating portions of Scripture like this to realize, my pursuit of all of those things is going to be too expensive. It's going to cost me too much. In fact, ultimately, it tells me here, it could cost me my soul. None of that. None of it is worth comparing to the eternity God offers us in Christ. Nothing of this world or of this world's desires has any reach into the next life. The eternal life we desire with God and that he has given us through Christ, our Savior. And that is why we are instructed here to be so very, very careful about what we invest ourselves in, what we make a priority, what we choose to value in our lives and get attached to. God is always more important than stuff. And what God has to say about stuff is always far more important than the stuff itself. The two things God wants us most focused on are eternal relationship with him and the eternal relationships we have with those who share our lives with us. He ultimately wants us to see that when it comes down to the hardest, the most painful, the most challenging, and even the most victorious moments of our lives, who we depend on in those moments will make all the difference. He wants us to depend on him completely. And he also wants us to depend on those around us who depend on him completely so that we're guided in that perspective. He wants our decisions, our plans, our priorities to reflect our understanding and our appreciation of how he provides us eternal salvation, completely free and in full righteousness, that brings us peace with God, that makes us able to stand in God's presence, welcomed there by his declaration now and for eternity. That is the most important thing you will ever know, the most important possession you will ever have. And God wants us to see that everything that interferes with our understanding and living our relationship with our eternal Father for what it truly is, a distraction. He who gave up his son into sacrificial death to make our righteousness and redemption possible wants every last thing that distracts us from that relationship to be seen as soul-corrupting, eternity-damaging, a product of this world and this world alone. Something to be pushed aside in the moment of temptation. Something to be discarded altogether for good if we are led to understand how dangerous its interference comes to our continuing knowledge of God, our understanding of him, our reliance on his promises and his plans.
following our Savior God. He does know just how difficult this is for us. We're told in the Scriptures numerous places how his experiencing the human predicament as we do on a daily basis included his experiencing every temptation that we also face, and certainly the temptation to place material over spiritual, to place the temporary as more important than the eternal. So he just keeps giving and forgiving you and me and our failures to do this day after day after day after day. He's not going to stop giving and forgiving until he has accomplished his purpose or we have taken our final breath. His goal is our complete reliance on him. It is something he will continually keep working in us every single day by his word and by his spirit. So today, God's spirit through these scriptures is challenging you to take a good long look at what you truly depend on. Look at all the things the world would encourage you to rely on and value. Then look at the truths of your God that give you eternal life, that actually assign to you eternal value in God's eyes. Look at how God is the one who truly gives you every last thing that you own, who brings fellow believers into your life for your encouragement and your correction, who gives you guidance into truth that changes everything about your right here and your right now and also about your eternal existence. He's the only one who truly makes possible every last thing that you need in your life and that you hope for in the next life, the unending future. The question actually becomes rather simple when it's put into this context. Are you going to rely on the stuff that you can pile up? Are you going to rely on your own thinking and choosing in life? Are you going to rely on the failed concepts of other merely human minds? who together with you have made a mess of the world in which we live and a mess of our daily lives so very often. Are you going to depend on the only source of honesty and truth that tells you how God sees you and still loves you anyway? Are you going to depend on the one who actually knows what eternity truly is, what he's prepared for you to experience there, and desires your presence with him there so much that he has taken upon himself to do every last thing necessary to not only make it possible, but to make it yours by making certain that you would hear his word proclaim you righteous, forgiven, promise you resurrection from the dead and eternal life with God. So who do you? And who will you depend upon? Yourself? trying to keep the commandments, 
the world that gives you so many answers that sound so good in the moment but always play out far differently than you know God desires your life to be. Or your eternal Father. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Amen. Please stand. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.